Well, good morning. It is great to be back with you. It's great to come after a long time separate. It's great to see the choir growing and getting larger and more itself again. It's lovely to be with you. It was great to see people in the chapel at 8 o'clock. There are a lot of things that are growing and leaning forward. And, and this morning we get to catch that sort of vibe as we turn to our scripture. Because the scripture found, Isaiah found Israel in this scripture. The prophet found Israel in a bit of a woeful state. They had been taken from their homes in Jerusalem and Judea by an enemy army, the Babylonian army, and marched across to live in present-day Iraq against what they wanted, against their culture and language. They were disoriented and confused and somewhat angry, but they didn't know what was next. They didn't know whether to hunker down. They didn't know whether to just kind of last it out. And in that context, the prophets of Israel started to sense that there was a new thing coming partly because of the political landscapes that they looked around and saw, partly because of who God is, they started to realize that God was moving forward in a new way. Chapter 43 of Isaiah captures that. Now, it's in a part of Isaiah that is full of hope and comfort. In chapter 43, before this one, the prophet says, Comfort, comfort ye my people, says the Lord. It's a new voice, not a condemning voice, a new voice of hope. And then in 43, it begins the first verses of this chapter. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who has formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. And now we get, in this morning's passage, to chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Let's listen together for the word of God. Thus says the Lord, your Holy One, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Because of my nomadic ways, and then once married to Liz, our nomadic ways, I have experienced spring in many different places. I grew up in Oregon where spring meant a continuation of rain <laughs> with a few flowers. 
Then I moved to the northeast where spring actually seemed like a a new thing. The trees were full of blossoms and the, the flowers came out and snow had ended mostly. Then we moved at one point in these wanderings to the upper Midwest, to Minnesota, and spring was very clearly here when the temperature got all the way up into the mid-40s and people started wearing short pants. (laughs) But it wasn't until recently that Liz and I moved first here and then to another place in the Southwest, Austin, Texas, and I realized that I had been a bit of a bigot against southern spring. That in my northernness, I had thought deserts don't have spring. But while we lived here, and again this time around, by the way, I noticed how much explodes, how much newness breaks out in the desert at this time of year. It's just breathtaking. I'm a little oblivious normally, so if I see it, you must be seeing it, right? It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it, it summons Isaiah 43, because did you notice that in Isaiah 43... He refers, as Michael referred to, he refers to, the prophet refers to the jackals and the ostriches who are leaping, it seems, because water has been brought to the desert. A new thing has happened that is different than what they've had before. The vision of a God who brings a new thing into play. After the last two years in the United States of America, are you ready for a new thing? Right? We all, as I said in the, in the call to worship, we all feel not only leaning seasonally towards spring, not only leaning uh, biblically toward resurrection on Easter, we're leaning toward whatever God has next. We're ready. We're like those people in ancient Israel. We need a new thing. And it's time we peeled our eyes to see it come. So, this morning, we're going to ask ourselves not exactly what that new thing is. I know what it is, but I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, Actually, I don't know what it is, but I do know from the prophet and from other parts of Scripture what it means to get ready for a new thing, what we might need to do to prepare ourselves to even recognize it when it comes, because we can miss things, you know. So first, let's go to that passage in Isaiah and unpack a bit more what the setting is and how much they are leaning forward, hoping for something new. They have, you see, been through a long experience of a beleaguering reality that they did not choose and did not want. They were in exile, away from homes their family had lived in for 400 years. Suddenly ripped out in a new place. They were so overwhelmed by that, so angered and confused by that, that maybe the most troubling passage in the scripture, Psalm 137, vents that anger in this way. The psalmist says, blessed is the one who dashes their little ones against the stones. This is an anger that it almost feels misfit in Scripture. It does tell us there's no place we could go with our anger that doesn't have at least a parallel in the Bible. But these people were angry and upset, and in the early days they were confused and wanted simply to hunker down and maybe last it out, but they were angry at their circumstance. But gradually God began to 
to season them to do things that they didn't expect. They began to realize during their time in exile that God actually cared for people beyond the people Israel. It's the strangest thing. They were in this land that they didn't want to be in, but gradually they noticed God seems to love these people too. Before this, just to give context, before this part of the history of Israel, before the exile, there's very little attention paid to the nations of the world in the Bible, and especially among the Israelites in the kingdom. Very little attention paid to nations except if they wanted, we wanted to conquer them or we had to, defense to defend against their armies. The nations were not a place where God was active. The nations were people to be defeated or defended against. But in exile, really for the first time, they experientially had access to the humanity of the people they were living among and the thought that God might actually care about and have created these people too. And so the prophets say things like, there will come a day when all the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord. It's not something you would have heard earlier. There will come a day when all the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord. And you know what happened? As much as they hated going there, as the exile ended, and we'll get to that some other time, but as the exile ended, a community of rabbis and Jewish people stayed in Babylon, and it was a big enough community who chose to stay there that one of the, one of the biggest ancient writings the Babylonian Talmud, one of the biggest collections of Jewish teaching in the ancient world, was from Babylon because they stayed longer and longer. Right? God had changed Israel, changed the Jewish people by their experience of being among the nations. They went through a beleaguering, unchosen, unwanted experience. And they came out the other end different. Let's see, beleaguering, unchosen, unwanted. Could you describe COVID-19 any more clearly? We haven't been here for decades. We've been here for two years, but COVID time expands, so it feels like decades. Right? We have had our lives changed against our will. We have had our habits changed against our will. We've had it figure out how to be with one another and communicate with one another and do all those normal things of our lives differently because of something we never would have chosen to have it be a part of the way we live. You and I, this whole company, this whole world has been through a global pandemic that has changed the way life goes. And we have an alternative. We have an option now. We have the option of just trying our hardest to get back to 2019 ways, right? We have the option of, of saying, oh, we, we're going to do everything we can to make it just like it was as if the COVID-19, the pandemic had never happened. That's an option for us. It may have been what some of the Israelites were saying. We just want to try to get back to what was happening before. Or we can live with Isaiah and ask ourselves, what have we learned during this that actually changed us and gives God the possibility of making a whole new thing happen? What if the future beyond COVID actually becomes bigger and better than the past that we yearn for, right? that we, some of us, just want to recreate? 
What if God is doing a new thing and it's ours to perceive it, ours to live into it, ours to be the future that God is making? I work with churches around the nation. And it's very interesting to watch different churches and different church leaders and ministers figure out what do we do. You know, just a, a sidelight, this last two years has been the hardest period to be a Christian leader in my 59-year lifetime. So if, if you do nothing else coming out of COVID, appreciate your pastors and pray for them because they aren't healed yet. It is a difficult time to lead Christians in America. You have to figure out how are we doing masks, how are we doing vaccines, and there are differences in the pews and out of the pews. And so it's been a hard time. Let's just note that. But there are churches that are longing for 2019 who just want to go back to the way we used to do it before. But then there are other churches that are asking, what have we learned? What has God done that's changed us and moved us into the possibility of a newer and larger thing? We're coming back together. How can we be more robustly together? There are churches that are leaning into a future. I work with a couple partners and we're working with a presbytery. Now, presbytery is an inside baseball term. Some of you are lifelong Presbyterians and you know it and you don't have to listen to this explanation, but some of you have not been Presbyterians all your life. It's kind of like a conference in United Methodism or in uh, United Church of Christ. It's like a diocese in the Episcopal Church. It's an area or a region. If you're not a churchy person, it's like a district, right? And so, so a Presbytery in northeast New Jersey has decided to, to actually from three former presbyteries, they've decided not only to become one new group, but also to take on a different identity. They feel like, and presbyteries often are, regulatory bodies. That's the primary thing they do. Regulatory things, adjudicatory things, right? This, this little part of New Jersey, northeast New Jersey, has put together a plan. They want to become not only one body where there were three, making them, by the way, the most ethnically and culturally diverse new presbytery in the, in the nation. But also, they want to figure out how to be missionally supportive rather than simply sort of counting beans and regulating what goes on in churches, right? They're, they're planting new seeds because they, got, they see God doing a new thing, and part of that is learning that they got during COVID. I'm working with a church in Connecticut that is asking after this time of COVID when there, there are conflicts about masks and about racial teaching and all of these things are bubbling up. They're asking together, how can we learn from our past how we might live into our future? So they've gone to a 1629 covenant from Salem Colony in, in the New World. 1629 covenant and asked what would it be to pledge to be with one another in a way that's committed solidly to one another come what may because here's the thing before covid in 2019 americans were pulled about how we think about people from the other side of the political aisle and in 2019 before covid People who were asked by the Pew Research Center said, if they were Democrats, they said, Republicans are a little more immoral than most people at an over 50% rate. In fact, over half of Americans said that people on the other side of the aisle are just a bit more immoral than the average person. Right? 
And over 35% said, you know, those people on the other side of the aisle, they're, they're just a bit less intelligent than the average person, right? This was before COVID. The numbers have swelled since then. So when we look at one another across divides, we say the reason we disagree is either because they're stupid or they're evil, right? During COVID, we didn't manage a whole lot of things well because we were divided, right? We, we played to our parties or our tribes and overdid our response to COVID on each side instead of finding a middle way that would work for everybody because we're divided. We sh it's, it showed us the devastating results when we can't figure out how to be in the same room together, when we can't figure out how to be in the same country together well. So what, what's left for us to do if we're going to listen for a new thing that God might be doing among us in the way that Isaiah 43 puts it out there for us? What would we need to do? In that preparation, I have two brief sort of suggestions. One is we're going to need humility. Today's prayer of confession could have been spoken about what Israel went through in the process that I was describing earlier. Take, oh, take us as we are. Summon up what we could be, would be, might be. First comes, we know we're broken. That's the first step. Humility is actually knowing that I don't have all the answers. If you leave COVID thinking, if they had just listened to me, we would be fine. Then you haven't quite gotten it. Right? If they had just listened to me and my people, we would have been great. We never would have had it, right? whatever problem it is. Humility is crucial because if we don't think there's a need for a new thing, we won't see the new thing. And yet when I asked earlier, who's ready for a new thing, you all nodded. And I don't think you just meant circumstances. I think you meant the whole shebang, the whole bit of being a people. Right? So humility is the first thing, and, and it takes, it's painful to be humble. It, it's painful to recognize that we might be part of the problem. It's painful to recognize that the people we have demonized or separated ourselves from might have something to tell us that we could learn from or grow from. Right? It's a painful thing. Humility is a painful thing. But it is crucial for Israel in their welcome of a new thing, and it's crucial for us. If you're going to see what God is offering new, you have to know you're broken first. Right? The second thing is hope. How many of you got more pessimistic during COVID? For a while it just seemed endless. Is it ever going to go? And we still don't know where it's going. It made us a people who weren't expecting good new things. It made us a people who were hunkered down and putting up with the way things were. It made us a bit more angry. All the polls tell us that we got angrier during COVID. Angrier at one another, angrier at life. It made us a lot of things. It squeezed hope out of us. And in order to see the new thing, we're going to need to squeeze it back in. Right? We can be, like Israel, a people that leans toward what God is weaving together for us. We can be a people who know we're broken and then say, and God among broken people always does great things. 
Israel's in slavery 400 years. God comes in with Moses, frees them from that slavery, and makes them a whole new people. It's the, it's the soldiers that were referred to in this passage that, that God overcame Egyptian power to get the people out of Israel. Passover is this season. Right? It happened again in the, in the exile that we've been talking about this morning. It happened again in the early Christian church as resurrection happened among a broken people and then Pentecost happened beyond that. It's happened throughout Christian history. Italian Christianity is sliding and, and Franciscan, uh, the Franciscan order comes up and regenerates a whole new thing. Friends, when, when people realize we're broken, God comes in. It's God's habit, but we need also to be hopeful so we watch for that. Friends, God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. Shall we perceive it? Shall we lean toward it? Shall we hope for it? Shall we give ourselves over to it? God is doing a new thing, and that is good, good news. Amen? Amen.